Hi, my name's Justin. Um, I'm going to pray again if that's all right. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come move in power. Preaching is one of those spiritual gifts, which means it's a miracle. So, Lord, we ask for a miracle today through my words and your words in my mouth and in our ears. Come and have your way. Lord, I pray that you would reveal your character, that you would destroy the barriers in our lives that are keeping us from your presence. Thank you for the freedom that you've given Beto, and we ask for more, more breakthrough, more freedom, and more healing. Do that in each of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thanks for letting me preach. Um, As I mentioned in my prayer, I think that as preaching is one of the spiritual gifts, then this is a supernatural thing. This is not just me telling you what I thought when I read some some verses. Yeah, there is some of that, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will do his thing. So uh, we're going to be talking about David and Bathsheba. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, you might have heard of this story. Maybe you've heard a hundred sermons about it. Uh, It's a really long text, so I figured I might as well just instead of, you know, I love liturgy, but I also like shaking things up. So Instead of the standing and reading like a hundred verses, I'm just gonna we're just gonna have a little bit of story time with a little bit of commentary time, if that's all right. Okay, good, because you don't have a choice. So David was the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, the the king of the United Tribes. He was arguably the most important king of ancient Israel, and one of the most notable kings. Throughout history, he was the shepherd boy who was anointed to be king and decades later finally becomes king. He was the the young boy who defeated Goliath. He's uh, one of the ancestors to the Messiah. He's the author of most of the Psalms um, and a tragically flawed man. So we're going to be in a little bit of the trenches today. but I think it's going to be really enjoyable, uh, even if it, it's one of those, oh, it hurts so good kind of things. So let me just start reading. This is from Second Samuel chapter 11, and you guys just chill story time. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged, besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, so this is one of those big failure stories of the good guy. So the the good guy messes up. Um, And this is the the first issue. David should have been at war. The time that kings go to war, David's not at war. You guys know that all of life is a war, right? I mean, there's the there's the spiritual warfare, the battle between life and death, good and evil, light and darkness. Uh, If you don't fight, that doesn't mean that you're not in the battle. 
So don't do what David did. Don't get comfortable. Don't put your feet up. Don't coast. Because if you're not fighting, you're going to lose. And, I mean, the kingdom of God is about world domination. Like That's what we were meant to carry. If Jesus is your king, then everything you do, your job, your house, your children, the way you parent, uh, the way you neighbor, we were designed to bring the kingdom of God wherever we go and bring that into world domination. I know it sounds a little excessive, but that's because where Jesus is king, the kingdom is there. And Jesus is a good king. He's the only good king. So we want the Prince of Peace to reign throughout the world. So don't, don't be like David. Don't put your feet up when you should be at war. We were designed, as believers, we were designed to plunder the kingdom of darkness and rescue the treasure. Okay, so verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. So then he sees this woman on the roof of her house bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So I know if you're in like Briar Grove here, you're not going to see a woman bathing on her roof. Like that's, that would be, there would be something wrong with her. In the Middle East though, they've got, it's, it's not the same. The houses are different. In the Middle East, they've got the, the roof. And then they've also got about three or four, maybe five feet of wall beyond that. So she's not flaunting. She's not being rebellious or harlotous or, you know, she's not, being weird. I'm glad that got on video. So, so she's not um, doing something rebellious here. So then David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, so, so this is where David really starts to to mess up a little bit more. He's going further down the path of sin. He didn't have the boundaries. He didn't have the barriers. He, he's slipping. He's going towards the slippery slope of, slope of the spiral into deeper rebellion. It's easy to do. It's easy to do if you don't have boundaries, if you don't have a stopgap, if you don't have someone shaking you regularly and getting in your face. What a blessing for that. Um, but but let's go back to David. So as David is sending for her, he's about to sin. And she's not doing this bad stuff. In a moment, her and David are going to sleep together. And you think of David and Bathsheba, oh, they had an affair. No, no, no. This was not just an affair. This is David assaulting her. David was the king. He had all the power all the authority, she had no recourse and no choice. This is a, I mean, this is topical for today. This is like Me Too stuff. This is an abuse of power by David, the king, a man after God's own heart. Yikes. So then the, the, David asks about her and they say, oh, this is Bathsheba, 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah is one of David's good friends, one of his mighty men, like a Navy SEAL personal friend of the king. They're like, oh, yeah, this is uh, Bathsheba, the wife of your guy. And he's like, hmm, okay, send for her. So David sent the messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness, her monthly cycle, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. Okay, so now there's more issues. It's getting, you can tell the, that it's spiraling out of control. So David sends word to Joab, the guy who's fighting David's battles. He says, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent to Uriah and gave, gave him, brought him to David. Then Uriah came to him and David asked how Joab was doing. Hey, what's going on? How's the fighting? Y'all doing good? Cool. All right. Just, you know, give it the old college try. You guys are doing great. And then he tells, David tells uh, Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to him, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark, the presence of God, the is, all of Israel and Judah dwell in tents. And my Lord Joab and all the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. How then shall I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I swear I will not do this thing. Okay, so now David's a little bit more trapped. But he has another idea. David said to Uriah, remain here today also and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his Lord. But again, he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. Uh-oh. And he says, in the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So now we see the man after God's own heart having become an adulterer, now an assassin, a murderer. So David moves from sexual sin, from laziness or not being a, a good king to sexual sin, to manipulation, to murder. Plus he's bringing others into this murderous plot. So now there's blood on Joab's hands as well. All to cover up his brokenness. He's hiding. He's, he, he knows he, he messed up. He's ashamed. He's trying to cover up. He's doing all he can so that he won't be found out. As Joab besieged the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. 
Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting. He instructed the messenger, when you finish telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises, and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city wall? Don't you know they're going to throw rocks on you and you die like they did back in the day? Did not a woman cast a millstone on him from the wall so that he died? So he's talking about people have died before. Don't go close to the wall. Don't be an idiot. You should know better than that. So Joab says, if he says that to you, tell him your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, the men gained an advantage over us and came out against us in the field. But we drove them back to the entrance at the gate. Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So there's blood on David's hands. There's blood on Joab's hands. Uriah the Hittite is dead, and others have died. So more blood. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you. For the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So now what? Is it over for David? The, the man with the promise, the one who'd been anointed to be king, the man after God's own heart. Is God done with David? Let's find out. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one very rich, he had lots of sheep, and a, a poor man who just had one sheep little a little you precious to him and his family it was like a daughter to him and he loved this this little sheep and the the rich uh, man had some visitors and so he wanted to slaughter and be hospitable a sheep for them but he didn't want to use one of his own so he stole this sheep of the of the poor man so so Nathan tells this to David and says, he slaughtered the lamb and prepared it for the man who had come. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against Nathan. And he said to him, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that Let me pause here. First, it takes a lot of gusto to tell a king that you are that man. That takes some some boldness. Also, what a mercy. What a sweet, pleasing mercy to have someone come and knock David out of this sin spiral. It's not pleasant being caught, but it is life-giving. 
It sucks. And it is like honey. I know. <laughs> I've been I've hidden before. I know what it's like in the dark where you think where you you feel the spirit of God drawing you into the light. And you say, "No, no, no. No, no it's going to hurt." What if it what if it hurts? What if it burns? What about the consequences? It is always a mercy to be caught. Hebrews 12 says, God disciplines those he loves. And here we see God disciplining David because he loves him even after there's blood on his hands, even after he's acted like a bad king. God sends a prophet with some gusto, and he punches them out of the the death spiral. And David responds. He responds well. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. So we as a people, as a family, if this is just a church, I'm not interested. If this is a family where we take care of each other, and we love each other, and we're honest with each other, I'm in. I, I want that. I don't want, a, a stamp, I don't want a name on a ledger. I don't want a stamp on a paper, membership stuff. I want us to walk as family. And as people come in, we say, welcome to the family. And they say, oh, we have brokenness. Well, good deal, welcome. You're one of us. For this to work, for us to be the people of God that are constantly repenting and constantly walking towards him and making headway at getting into his presence and bringing the kingdom to earth, we've got to be Nathans. We've got to be bold, speak to those in authority or to those in our sphere of influence. When we see someone who is driving towards the darkness, we get in their face and we lovingly shake them. Now, Nathan's a pretty smart dude. Plus, I mean, it helps that he's a prophet, so he's just saying what God told him to say. But we have to be that same type of person that says, hey, listen, uh, are you starting to rebel from the king? I know, some of you probably just said, I will never say that to someone. Okay, fine, be disobedient. I'm going to talk to you about that later because <laughs> you're being disobedient. I, I know, I mean, I've, I've been in a, a position before where I felt I need to talk to this person about this, but I've been afraid. Well, what if they reject me? What if Nathan wasn't like that? So we need to be Nathans and we need to make sure we're around Nathans. So if you guys see anything wrong in me, get in my face. I promise I'm a good repenter. (laughs) If you see something that is anti-gospel, anti-kingdom in me, hey, Justin, got an issue here? I want to be quick to fall on my face. Taylor's the same way. The leadership here is the same way. If, if you see an issue, I'm not saying go gripe at Taylor all the time. 
But if you see an issue, a heart issue, do not be afraid because you as a believer carry the same authority that Jesus carried. I'm gonna say that again. As a believer, you carry the same authority that Jesus carried. That's why he came and died so that he could get the authority and then give it to us. That's, the, that's part of the inheritance that you carry that authority. So if you see a brother acting like he's got chains wrapped around him and he is coddling sin, be bold. Speak them into the light. If you are coddling sin, if you have hidden sin, if you have continual brokenness, if you're, if you're at that point in David's life where he needed a Nathan, ask for help. The light is warm. Okay. Mm. It's always a blessing to step into the light. What would have happened if Nathan didn't go to David? If he would have continued this spiral? I think the story of Israel would be very, very different. And if you know the story of Israel, it's messy after this point. But David repents and comes back to the Lord. And the Lord's still with him. Okay, pause here. If you've ever struggled with sexual brokenness or temptation or failure, welcome to the human condition. You're not alone, and you're not stuck. I know you feel stuck, or maybe you've felt stuck. You don't have to stay there. There is freedom available. There is victory available. Don't stay in the dark. As Christians, we are the continual repenters. Oh, had a little bit of rebellion there. Lord, help me. Taylor, help me. Wife, help me. We are the continual repenters. We're not perfect, but we lean on family. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit and new lives. Okay. Find safe people and lean on them. Okay, back to the text. So here's Nathan continuing to speak God's words to David. Thus says God, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your, ma- I gave you your master's house and his wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Do you hear the emotion in those words? 
the maker of heaven and earth, speaks to David and he says, you left me. I gave you everything. And if it wasn't enough, I would have given you more. But you despised me. I gave you the keys to the kingdom and you spit in my face. This is not a a hatred, anger speech here. This is a wounded, this is, God has been offended by his rebellion. He's not coming to destroy. If you, you feel the pain in that sentence, right? I would have given you more. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. This doesn't usually make it into the children's Bibles. You did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. (laughs) What? Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you will die. Then Nathan went to his house. Look at this strange juxtaposition of justice and mercy here. What a weird, I mean, he says, the sword will never depart from your house. I'll take your wives. You will be dishonored in public. And he says, Lord has put away your sin. You won't die. Then back, the child will die. What a strange like, ouch, ouch, ouch. Oh, ouch. Isn't that kind of, kind of weird to you? Maybe just me? Okay. If you've ever been in Bathsheba's shoes, you might read that mercy verse and think, that is not fair. You can't just excuse the abuser and the murder of my husband. And you'd be right. The justice of God has to deal with that blood debt the blood that cries out for, for righteousness, for justice. The justice of God has to deal with sin. And even, I mean, that last, the child of your rebellion will die. This is an innocent child. That's not fair either. I, I, you're right to be, to have a, an issue with that. That's not, that's not fair. That's not just. But here, I think that God is justified to do this because this is a foreshadowing of what would come in the future. Another innocent child, an innocent son, would be crushed for the guilty party. By the way, that's you and me. David, he does, he does a good job of repenting here. It's really short in this text. It says, I messed up. I sinned against the Lord. And then there's that huge mercy verse. Okay, God has put away your sin. 
which is a little crazy. But we can see in Psalm 51, David wrote about this time with David and Bathsheba. And I'm going to read just a couple verses of that. David says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And he says something that I've prayed maybe a thousand times and I pray for my sons a lot. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You can just close your eyes. I'm not done, but close your eyes for a second. Lord, create in us clean heart. Renew a right spirit in us, Jesus. Don't cast us from your presence. Don't take your spirit from us. In Jesus' name, thank you. So God doesn't give up on David. It's not the end. This is a terrible, terrible screw up and God is still with him. And yes, there are still consequences of sin. If you keep reading, things get really, really nasty. David still continues to to let sin stay in his house. One of his sons rapes a daughter, is killed by another son. That son runs away and comes back, tries to perform a coup. Lots of people die. It's very bloody. Lots of brokenness. The sword does not depart. And then David and Bathsheba have a son. He's named Solomon. Jesus comes from that line. Is that ridiculous to you? It should be ridiculous to you. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, the the Word of God, comes from a union that started off in sin. So God can still use broken people. (laughs) that's good because if God didn't use broken people then we'd be everything would be finished be over in fact look at this crazy verse it's in 1st Kings 15 it says for David's sake the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David didn't write that bit. 
this is the, the summary of David's reign. He did everything right. There was that one thing, but everything else he did right. I'm going to switch, switch a bit. The way the enemy works, the, the way the enemy works, this is, this is not in the text. Give me, give me a second to, to rabbit trail. The enemy wants to ruin your life. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you, and he wants to steal from you. David left the door open for the enemy to do that. If the enemy can't do that to you, he's going to try to get your kids. That's, I mean, he, the, the enemy, he's, the enemy, he's our enemy. And we're in a war, and he's the accuser. So he's going to tempt you and accuse you. If he makes you rebel, he's going to accuse you for it. And you're going to say, I know, I'm a worm. If you are coddling sin, if you have hidden brokenness in the darkness, you are leaving a door wide open for him to come and mess with you and your family and your kids. For the sake of your children, repent. He's like a a roaring lion. If there were lions outside your house, you're going to leave your your door hanging open? Sin is crouching at your door. It seeks to master you, but you must master it. If it does master you, repent really quickly. Kick it back out. Lock the door. And let the mercy of the Lord bring you back into his presence. And as I said earlier, we as believers have authority. We have authority over the enemy. We have authority over the enemy. If you have continued temptation, continued failure, speak to that. Speak, just rebuke that. I'll do it again. Just close your eyes. Jesus, if anyone is struggling with habitual sin, I just rebuke that right now. I speak freedom over them. Breathe on us with your spirit and your presence and your transforming power in Jesus' name. You know, you can do that anytime you want. I don't have any more authority than you do if Jesus is your king. David was tragically flawed. And honestly, that should give us a lot of hope. (laughs) Because I'm tragically flawed. You're probably tragically flawed. We are bankrupt and wholly unable to pay our debt to our righteous judge. But there's this man. He's just paying everybody's debts. He's paying them because he enjoys to, because he loves them. In fact, this man is our older brother, and he wants us to come back into the presence of his father. So he's paying debts. If you got a debt and you want him to pay it, 
today's the day. The debt is too great for us. It's impossible. We can't make it work even with our greatest effort. But there's this man. If you ever hear the gospel or, or what someone calls the gospel and you don't think this sounds too good to be true, you've missed it. Or they've done a bad job telling you what it is. If the gospel doesn't regularly knock you on your butt, you may be assuming that you brought something to the table. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Isaiah 1, 18. Even without any context, I'm just going to read it to you. This is God talking to Israel. He says, come, let us reason together. Let's argue this out, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they will become like wool. God says, let's argue about this. I'm going to make you clean. <clears throat> so four things that I just, as, as a summary, God can still use people with a history of brokenness, even sexual fa- failure. And he can use those who have suffered at the hands of an abuser. Because Jesus came from that line Sometimes we are Bathsheba. Sometimes we are abused and mistreated. And God is displeased with this thing. But not with us. If you have been a Bathsheba, God hates that thing that happened to you. But he's not mad at you. If you've been abused, you're not garbage. You're not to be cast away. You're not filthy. You're not trash. God is displeased with that. And he loves you. Sometimes we are David. Sometimes we are the broken, flawed one who rebels against the creator of the universe. Sometimes we are the abusers. who need someone to come pay our debt with justice and mercy. And sometimes we get to be Nathan. Sometimes we need to be Nathan, boldly speaking truth and freedom to those in our sphere of influence. If you are still dealing with the lingering effects of past abuse, let me just testify to you about the transformative power to break the bondage of the accuser through forgiveness. This is not in the text also. But I've prayed with a whole lot of people that have gone through some pretty nasty abuse. And I have seen them change physically. The moment they let go of that, whenever they forgive, they're transformed. If you're struggling to hear God's voice, 
You may need to walk through forgiveness of something. If you're struggling with anxiety, fear, um, sleeplessness, if you have unforgiveness in your life and you want free, that, that could be a thing. Does that make sense? If you've been abused, I know it's, I'm skipping like three hours of counseling. By the way, we have some fantastic counselors here. Ray and Anna, amazing, spirit-led, well-trained. Like, we've got professionals. If you need to talk to a professional, talk to a professional. All right, one more, one more thing. Would you guys, just as as way of, I don't know how long I've gone. Maybe I'm like an hour over. But if y'all, would y'all just receive this last, I'm just, I just want to speak over you. It's not that weird, but yes, I want to prophesy over you. So if y'all would just kind of have a posture of receiving. Just receive these words as from the heart of God. God says, I'm not mad at you. I hate sin, and I hate that you were hurt. I want you to know that I love my children. And I was there when these bad things happened, and I was grieving with you. And this does not define you. Because I am the God who trades beauty for ashes. In Jesus' name, amen.